Romans chapter 8 is where we left off last week there in verse 25. So this morning we're going to pick up in Romans 8 verse 26. And because of what it addresses here, we're just actually going to look at verses 26 and 27. And if you'll stand together with me out of respect for the word of God as we read our portion of scripture this morning. Romans 8 verse 26, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of of God And Father, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit this morning as we open the word of God, that Lord, you would give us attentive hearts and that our hearts would just be that soft, fertile soil that you can speak into and sow the seed of your word, that it might have good effect and bear fruit in our lives. Lord, we ask that you take away that which would hinder or distract within us, among us, that we might hear the voice of you as the living God speaking personally to us what we need to hear. So, Lord, bless your word, and we ask that you'd speak to us by your Spirit's ministry, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. You know, don't shout it out, but what would you consider, perhaps this morning, one of your greatest personal weaknesses? You know, according to what God knows about us, from God's perspective, whether we would admit it or not, one of our greatest human weaknesses is our struggle with prayer. I don't know any Christian, probably, who would not, if they were honest, admit that on occasion it is a struggle and a challenge to maintain a healthy or a fruitful or even a consistent prayer life. Well, listen, the good news is because God is a loving Father, because He is a good Father, He doesn't just want to draw attention to our weaknesses, but the wonderful thing is He actually wants to and seeks to assist us with those weaknesses that he draws attention to in our lives. And really, that's what our text this morning is about here in Romans chapter 8. It is instruction from God's word. It is more than that, assurance from God's word that God, by his spirit within us, helps us in relation to our prayer life. That one of the many reasons whereby God has put his spirit into our lives internally to help and assist us, one of those reasons is to assist us in prayer, in communication with God, especially as we face life's challenges. Again, remember, Romans chapter 8, as we've been looking at it together, is this glorious chapter that talks about the internal work of the Spirit of God within our lives as a believer. That when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, at that moment of salvation, the Spirit of God entered our life. He now dwells within the life of the child of God. And there's an internal work and help and assistance of the Spirit. Now, in our last verses together, Paul had just referenced how in this present life right now, that there would be sufferings that we would deal with struggles and difficulties and problems and pain, and that would be a part of this present life. But Paul said in relation to that, 
He said it's important that we remember that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared, remember he said, with the glory that shall be revealed. He also said that as a result of sufferings in this present life and the presence of God's spirit within us, that that would also cause us in a sense to groan within longing for that glory and that eternal experience that we're one day going to possess. That right now the spirit within us, as we have a redeemed spirit, but yet we still live in a temporal fallen failing body under the curse of sin we groan because of our own struggles with sin we groan because of the the body that's just failing and breaking down physically with disease and illness and older age and, and we groan for that heavenly eternal body and Paul then left off lastly by telling us but yet the thing that sustains us is that we've been saved with a hope the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's that hope that God has given to us, that absolute assurance of the coming glory that sustains us in this life and helps us to patiently endure and persevere. Yet the truth of the matter is still, when you're wearied in the journey and when you're wounded in the midst of the battle as you travel through this life, where in the world do you find what you need to enable you to keep going? And to keep pressing onward until you get into the presence of the Lord. Well, starting here in verse 26 this morning, and as we go through the rest of the chapter, the Bible is going to tell us that's exactly what God will do. And he's going to explain to us how God does keep us and help us in the weariness of the journey and as we're wounded in the battle to sustain us as we travel onward. Look with me in verse 26. This is what he's addressing now. He says, likewise... The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. So he begins here in this chapter, in this particular verse now, to identify, as we're going to see in a moment, a particular weakness. So he's going to address two things here in verse 26. He's going to address our human struggle, but then the, the wonderful thing of the Spirit of God's assistance in relation to our struggle or our weaknesses. Notice he begins there by saying likewise. Your translation may say there in the same manner. What Paul's indicating by that term there is in the same way in the midst of our present sufferings in this body now, the Spirit causes us to groan for heaven. And in the same way, likewise, that right now it's hope that sustains us and helps us persevere as we go through challenges in this life. He's going to say, likewise, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us, He assists us, in our weaknesses and in our struggles. Now that term there that's used, our weaknesses, uh, the language indicates feebleness or lack of strength in both body and mind. Uh, and, and I don't know about you as I think about my own human frailties or limitations. This is the idea here, how often I am unpleasantly reminded continuously of my own human limitations. How often I am constantly being reminded of my own human frailties, again, whether it's mentally. I find that the older I get, uh, truthfully, the less I actually know. You know, I remember when we were getting ready to leave York, as we'd been pastoring there for 13 years, and I remember a specific conversation, someone saying to me, so, you know, after 13 years of ministry, what, you know, what, what, do, you, what do you think is the, 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 one of the biggest lessons that you've learned after 13 years of ministry? I said, I know exactly what I've learned. After 13 years of pastoral ministry, I know a lot less now about what it means to be a pastor than when I first showed up here 13 years ago. 
And you know, isn't it amazing how the, it seems that the older you get and the, the longer you go, you actually realize that you know a lot less than you really did earlier on. And that there's a whole lot more to know, whether it's about God or about life. Or, and, and, and on top of that, if it's not the bad thing that you, that you realize, I don't know quite as much as I thought I know, then on top of it, you realize, I can't remember as much of what I used to remember. So it's, it's like a double, a double negative there. I don't know as much as I thought I did, and I can't even remember the things that I did know. And, and, and all of a sudden, oh, you know. And if it's not mentally, I mean physically, we try and push these bodies to labor and busy schedules and get up earlier and work longer. And, and, and so often we're realizing the body, you know, it's stalling out, it's breaking down. And it does not matter how much you feed the thing. It doesn't matter how much you exercise the thing, how much you take care of it, even how much you rest it. The old body, it just breaks down. It, it stalls out. And how often we find it's failing to do what we want it to do, our human weaknesses. Peter found this firsthand even in relation, here's what's key, Peter found his human weakness even in relation to prayer, which is exactly what our text is talking about this morning. Can I draw your attention to remember that time when Jesus was speaking in the Gospels of his suffering and his betrayal. As he was talking to them about the fact that he was about to be betrayed and suffered. And he said that all of you are going to flee. He was telling the disciples they were all going to abandon him in his hardest hour. And remember Peter in sincere love. And I think he was always genuine. He loved the Lord and had great zeal. And Peter piped up and said, Lord, even if everyone disowns you or abandons you, he says, I'll die with you. I'll stick with you to the end. Well, not too long after Peter's great declaration, Jesus leads them to a garden and he says to them, watch and pray. The only time Jesus ever asked the disciples to do anything, the only time he asked them to do something, he says, this is a really hard hour. Would you just sit here with me? I don't need your input. Just pray with me. Just sit here and pray with me. And Jesus, remember, goes off. He begins pleading with the Father in intense prayer himself, and he keeps coming back and checking on the disciples. And do you remember what they're doing every time? They're sleeping. Every time he comes back, instead of praying, Peter's sleeping. And, and listen, here's the thing. In great zeal, Peter promises, I'll die with you. And then in the very next moment, in the frailty of his own humanity, in exhaustion, he falls asleep during the most important prayer meeting in all of human history. Now, how bad is that? But I can relate to that. I remember one occasion before praying with a group of my leadership, truth be told, and literally falling asleep in a leadership prayer meeting. And someone quoting in my ear to wake me up, thank you that we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. One of my uh, guys was praying with me. And, and just that human frailty. Remember when Peter fell asleep, what did Jesus say to him? He said, Peter, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Same term, weak there, that's found in our text here. Peter, I know in your human spirit, I know you have willingness. I know you desire to do what's right. But Peter, the problem is your flesh, the weakness of your humanity, the limitation of your humanity. And just like us, man, lots of desire. We don't lack desire. It's just we lack the strength to do and to perform the things that we desire so often in our lives to fulfill the right thing how many times if you were honest have you desired have you determined to do the right thing spiritually lord i'm, I'm, I'm gonna read my bible more this week lord i'm gonna try and pray more lord i'm gonna try and more faithfully attend church lord i'm gonna try and not succumb to this 
sin or temptation and yet often find in your human frailty that you fall prey to the weakness of your humanity, whether it's in any area. And how many times? The desire's there, but it's that human frailty, that limitation of our flesh that we fall prey to and that overcomes us in the midst of it. Listen, in those moments, be encouraged. The good news is though we get bummed with ourselves, though we get disappointed and, and frustrated that we're hindered by our humanity, God's not shocked. He's not shocked. In fact, Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. See, God's not shocked by our human frailty. He understands it. In fact, to some extent, I think God even allows on occasion in our lives situations to remind us that we are dust to show us again that we are a lot more frail than what we really think we are and to bring us to a place where because of that, we learn how to become more dependent upon him. And he puts us in a place in the midst of our weakness where we realize I need your spirit's grace and power in my life and it's a way of preparing us, showing us our weakness so that we're prepared to then receive his power and his help and assistance in our life. Paul the Apostle discovered that firsthand amidst his sufferings. Let me read to you Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians 12. Paul said, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, most gladly, why rather boast in my infirmities, my sicknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in distresses for Christ's sake. Paul says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the Christian paradox. And we're going to talk more about what Paul means by that as we go on in our study of this one. But again, Paul was exposed to his own weaknesses because he said, I learned that actually in the midst of my weakness, that's actually when the power of God becomes strongest in my life. And the Christian experience has its fullest dynamic within me in those moments. Because again, it's the intention of the Lord to assist us in our human weaknesses. That's what our text is saying. Look there in verse 26 again. Likewise, the Spirit also, circle that word there, helps in our weakness. He helps us in our weaknesses. That, that term that's used there, helps, it's only used two times in the entire New Testament. It's a very unique word that Paul chooses to use. It's a term that speaks of taking hold of something together with another person to take part in the burden and work that they're already doing. We might say, hey, can you lend me a helping hand? The idea there, again, is giving help to what someone's already doing. The only other place it shows up is in Luke 10:40, where Martha was busy serving, remember, when Jesus was visiting, and she starts complaining and grumbling, and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to, same word, help me. In other words, what Martha was saying is, look, I'm not asking that she do all the work, but what I am saying is I could use a little additional assistance here. I can't do this all on my own. 
I need her to pick up a part of the workload and help me do what I'm already doing. It's a unique term that the Bible sets here before us in this passage and there to help because it describes the action of a person coming to another's aid. It doesn't speak of taking over and doing it all for them. It's a term that speaks of helping a person by not taking necessarily the entire load, but endeavoring to provide cooperative assistance to what they're already doing and coming along in cooperation to aid what they just can't do on their own. That's the term that's described there about how the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And here's the thing. The helper may even be the stronger person. And they even may do the bulk of the work and carry the heavier load, but it's still this cooperative thing as they're assisting what's already happened. And the Bible says that's what the Spirit of God does. This is what the Spirit of God within us does. He aids and helps us and assists us in aspects of our spiritual life. Again, picturing a person trying to carry a necessary load, but they just can't do it. They just don't have the capacity to do it on their own. So someone graciously comes along and helps them by picking up the other end to assist them in the thing that they're doing. The Bible says this is what the Spirit does. He powerfully offsets our human limitations and weaknesses in our spiritual life. Particularly we see here in relation to our prayer life. Isn't that how Jesus described the Holy Spirit in John 14 to 16? He called, them, called him multiple times the helper. The helper. And here, Paul now thinks about and zeroes in, though we have many weaknesses, he thinks about a particular weakness, and that weakness Paul's mind is on right now is trying to pray our way through this journey in a body of flesh with its sufferings and the struggles and the perplexities and challenges of life. He says, man, this is a particular weakness where I know that we really need the Spirit of God's help. And so he draws our attention now to needing the Spirit's help in relation to our prayer life. Paul says in our text, verse 26, likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness. Look what he says, for we do not know at times what we should pray for as we ought to. He says, this is a problem. Sometimes we just don't know what we're even supposed to pray for. Now, though it would seem evident, let me just be really clear. Simply put, what is prayer? It's communication with God. If prayer is anything more than those three words, it's really not prayer anymore. And, and there are times, let's be honest, I've prayed with other people and when I'm listening to a person pray, I wonder, are you really talking to God or are you trying to sermonize everyone else in the prayer group? Prayer's talking to God. That's why I never understand when a Christian says, oh, I, don't, I, I can't pray in groups, I just I don't know how to do it. I, you're talking to God. You can talk to me for a long time sometimes. <laughs> you're talking to God. Just talk to God. Communicate with God. Prayer is communication with God. And what an amazing thing to really think about that we have a living and a loving God who actually wants to communicate with us, who wants to have personal dialogue. And, and what a glorious privilege. In fact, God loves us so much, he not only invites and asks us to pray, but the Bible tells us here he even assists us in the process. He even aids us in the ability to be able to communicate with him when needed. He gives us help in our human inadequacy that may limit us even in communication with him as our father in heaven. Again, remember back in verses 16 and 17 of this very chapter here, we saw things like where Paul said the spirit prompts us within. He directs us to cry out unto God, Abba, Father. So there the spirit helping us become comfortable 
to address God as a good, gracious, benevolent father. He, he helps us to, to speak to God. He prompts us to talk to God. He also said there in verse 17, and it's the spirit within us who bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So he helps us address God and become comfortable talking to God and bringing everything to God. But then he also speaks to us that we might hear the voice of God testifying to our inner person as his spirit bears witness with our spirit that God loves us, that he's for us, that he's going to help us. I mean, prayer is not only this glorious privilege, but truly on top of it, it's a wonderful ministry. Prayer is the one ministry that you can accomplish from sitting wherever you are at and can probably have greater effect than anything else. Because you can sit there in your living room and you can begin praying for your husband at work and your kids in school and then all of a sudden you can zoom over to Zambia and start praying for people over there and then you go, oh, and I have that cousin in Philadelphia and, and by prayer you can go all over the world asking for God's intervention, asking for God's hand to get involved for God's voice to be heard without ever having to say a word to someone yourself, without ever having to strong arm some situation yourself, you can just ask God who has a strong right arm and who has a powerful voice to intervene and to be at work in lots of different places. Yet, truth be told, in the midst of trying to pray, one struggle is, is it not true, that sometimes we just find we just don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought to pray. This is what Paul's saying. Yes, we know we should pray, but sometimes we're perplexed regarding how to pray or what to pray for. That's an honest problem in prayer. We want to pray. I'm willing to bring it to God. I know I should pray, but yet I find in my life at times, sometimes I just don't know how to specifically pray for a certain circumstance or a particular matter or situation that's going on. We're thinking, well, I don't, what am I really supposed to ask God here? Or is there a bigger picture here that I'm not aware of? And, and, and Lord, I just, what's truly best for this person or this situation? And the reason why we don't always know how to pray as we ought to pray is, let's be honest, we're not God. I don't have all the facts and information. Contrary to what we think sometimes are wrong, we don't always have all the details. We have our perception of what we see from the outside, but I don't know what's going on in somebody's heart and mind. I truly don't 100%. I don't know what's happening behind closed doors in their house. I don't have all the details. And I don't always know what's ultimately the will of God in the matter. What really is God going to do and where is he going to take this? And, and what truly is God's intention? We know God's at work, but sometimes because we lack understanding and facts, we don't quite know how to pray specifically. Or sometimes we're just so overwhelmed maybe by what's going on, the weight of some situation. We just don't know how to pray in relation to the situation because the weight and the gravity of it is, is huge and we don't know automatically God's will. So then we face this dilemma the Bible speaks of where we don't know how to pray for as we ought to. And we find ourselves wrestling through that because we don't know God's will, which is an important reminder. Remember, the purpose of prayer biblically is not to accomplish my will. The purpose of prayer is not to acquire your will in a given situation. The purpose of prayer biblically is to see the will of God come to pass. Again, if you look at the end of verse 27, how does the Holy Spirit help us to pray? According to the will of God. 
that's the right way ultimately to pray, to see God's will come to pass in every situation. Jesus prayed, Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. That's true prayer. That's prayer in its purest form. Again, if the purpose of prayer is God's will, here's the dilemma. But I don't know God's will. And though I don't really know how I'm supposed to pray for this person or situation as I ought to, that then causes in our weakness things like, for example, sometimes we, we pray wrong prayers. And when I say wrong prayers, understand, I mean by that the intent of our prayer. For example, we can pray wrong prayers for other people in the intent of that. Again, I think of a situation with Jesus and, and Peter once again, where when Jesus was talking about his upcoming betrayal and his sufferings and his crucifixion, remember, Peter didn't quite agree with that plan. He heard Jesus say, look, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be suffering. I'm going to actually ultimately be killed and put to death. And Peter, what? Peter loved the Lord. He didn't like that program. So what does Peter do? He starts to intercede in a sense with Jesus. Remember Peter at that moment when he heard Jesus say that, it says he took Jesus aside and it literally says he began to rebuke him. And he began to say to Jesus, far be it from you, Lord, that will not happen to you. What's Peter doing? He's giving his intercession. Lord, I don't like that plan for your life. I don't agree with the idea. that I, I don't like that. Far, that is not going to happen to you. And in a sense, he begins to intercede with Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus turns around and he says, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In essence, I hear Jesus saying, Peter, sincere as your request may be, it's sincerely wrong. See, what was the problem? Peter, in his humanity, he didn't understand the will of God for Jesus' earthly life as a man. And Peter was asking what he was, but it, it lined up with his own emotions. It lined up with his own preferences. It lined up with his own logical reasoning and thinking, yet it wasn't in line with the will of God for Jesus' life as a man. And in the same way, often I can be prone, you can be prone to ask wrong prayers for other people for much the same reasons. We offer wrong prayers in our human weakness because of emotional feelings. And our emotions really want this for that person and our emotions really are craving that this would happen. So according to our emotions and our weakness, we pray a certain way and we're praying wrong for somebody. Or our own logical thinking. We look at things logically, practically, responsibly. So this is what's got to happen. This has got to happen for them, Lord. You've got to do this. And we're thinking, that's just so logical. That's the solution. So we pray, but maybe what we're praying logically doesn't line up with what the will of God is for that person's life. I don't know what God's doing in their life. I don't know maybe what God's going to utilize in that circumstance to bring about something that has a bigger picture further down the road. So all of those things, again, even our personal preferences, maybe we pray in a situation because if we pray and what we are asking for that person comes to pass, it becomes easier for us who hasn't prayed for their children in that way. That actually I thought was pretty funny. 
Lord! You know, and, and you pray for your children a certain way, but what, what's the genu- is the genuine prayer really that I honestly want what's best for them, or is the genuine prayer perhaps because it will be a whole world of a lot easier, God, if you change this in their life or do this in their life? And, and that's according to personal preference. And I'm not saying God can't merge those things, but these can just be weaknesses in our humanity like Peter that can prompt us to pray wrong prayers for other people. I think we can too, in the same way, pray wrong prayers even for ourselves. Remember that passage I read earlier from Paul the Apostle when he had the thorn in his flesh? It was something painful in his own personal life. And it said what? When I read it, it said Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from him. So Paul's got a situation in his life. It's painful. It's genuinely hurting him. It's causing grief and hardship and difficulty. And it doesn't just say he prayed. It says he pleaded. That shows you it's pretty passionate. He pleaded. He pleaded with the Lord three times that the Lord would take it away. Ultimately, he hears the voice of Jesus say to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. In other words, Paul, I'm not going to take this out of your life right now, but you'll see that my grace will be sufficient for you as you go through this. Here's Paul, in essence, you could say, somewhat in his human weakness, praying a prayer that had the wrong intent for himself because he doesn't know the bigger picture, But here's Paul. Why would Paul plead that the Lord would take it away? Well, put yourself in Paul's sandals. Paul's thinking, Lord, this is hindering me. This thorn in my flesh is holding me back. Do you know what I could be doing if I didn't have this debilitating difficulty in my life? This is holding me back from doing things for you. This is hindering my life. And Jesus says, Paul, what you think is hindering you, it's actually helping you because it's keeping you humble. Because you would become pretty arrogant if this wasn't keeping you humble in your life. And Paul, this is teaching you to depend upon my grace and to see measures of my grace that you would never know if you didn't need to rely upon my grace. And Paul, this is actually preparing you to experience my power. My power will be perfected in your weakness. And Paul, you're going to see my power at work in your life because of this remaining in your life. Again, Paul's praying but the struggle of his human weakness is somewhat leading him to pray a wrong prayer. And we can experience the same in matters of our life. We pray things like, Lord, set me free from this. I want to be set free from this. And he says, I know you want to be set free from this, but, but I, I want to shape you through this. I want to speak to you about things through this. I want to show you things. I want to show you my grace and let you experience my power. James even tells us in chapter 4 that sometimes our strong desires, maybe it's you know wanting to obtain some position or retain a position or to experience some pleasure in some form, that can become our weakness to lead us to, the Bible says, ask amiss. And we can ask amiss, James 4 says, because of just our own strong desires for something. So uh, there's that challenge there. And he says, it's in the midst of our weakness, he says, that the Spirit comes along to help us in the midst of our prayer. He says that he helps us because we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Spirit himself making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, Certainly, I can pray wrong prayers for myself and for others, but I think there's also a time too, and this may lend itself to what Paul's really kind of maybe honing in on here. Not that I think the Spirit doesn't help when we pray incorrectly as well, but I think sometimes we can almost just become wordless in prayer. Where when you're facing a situation in human weakness, we don't know what to pray for as we ought And it almost brings us to the place where you sort of feel lost for words. 
Anybody ever been there? Where you know you want to pray and you should pray, but you, you can't even frame the words to ask what maybe you think you should ask or to talk through it with God. You just can't even find the right words. You can't articulate. You feel the concern. You want to talk to God, but you struggle to frame words with the situation. Maybe it's because you're so frustrated or you're so burdened or you're so concerned and, and, and you begin to just sort of almost in your spirit groan and sigh in, in feeling overwhelmed. Perhaps you hear about a matter that's transpired and you know, man, I really need to pray. That's horrible. That's a, that's a major situation. But yet as you're trying to pray because you have limited details, you don't really know how to pray. You can't even find the right words. Well, what should I pray? I don't know all of what's going on there, but I know that situation in a church I, that needs prayer over there or this person's life or this marriage. Or, and I know I need to pray, but I don't, I don't even really know how to pray for that. I don't know what I should pray for that. Or sometimes in our lives, let's use an example that's practical as, as Paul's going to go over to Austria to serve as a missionary or we know someone that's ministering in another and we want to pray for them. But I don't know exactly what's happening in Austria. I don't know what's happening with that missionary there and what their need is in Africa. But in the midst of that weakness, the Spirit then can aid us, as even as we can't find the words, to be able to somehow still pray and to intercede. Or again, maybe some heavy situation happens to another person. I've sat by people at, you know, in, at bedsides waiting for a loved one to die or in the midst of a tragedy, you know, a suicide situation or show up to an auto accident when I was doing chaplaincy ministry. And, and you're thinking, would you pray for us? And you're thinking... I know I should, but... And you almost feel lost for words. What do you say? How do you begin to talk to God? And sometimes even in our own life, I think we can be subjected maybe to some tragedy or some trial or you're dealing with a, a heavy, heavy thing in your personal life and you find yourself at that place where maybe you're totally overwhelmed and all you can find yourself doing is kind of just sighing before God. And kind of just groaning and maybe a tear begins to run down your cheek and, and all you can sort of do is just... <sighs> and, and you can't even find the words to begin to express them to God. Well, it's at this time, verse 26 is telling us here, this is when the Spirit begins to aid us. He begins to help us and assist us. Even when I don't know what to pray and what God's will is, the Spirit does so He steps in and He picks up where I'm not able and he helps the communication with God to continue. As it says, he makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He assists us by continuing the intercession and seeking God regarding the situation that's at hand that we're trying to pray for. And again, the word intercession just means to ask or plead on another person's behalf. It's a term that speaks of standing in the gap for someone and asking on their behalf. So the Spirit comes to our aid and does this, and the Bible says here he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God, but it says in verse 26, he does that with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now let me be very honest here. Some translations render this with groanings too deep for words. Others translate it groans which words cannot express. And I do not want to spoil the beauty of what the Spirit of God does for us by trying to overanalyze exactly how that works. Because I'm not God. And I don't fully understand everything in the Word of God, but the glory of it is that this is an internal ministry of the Spirit that the Bible says takes place to aid and assist us in our prayer life 
where as we're groaning, longing to have that heavenly glory experience with our new body, the Spirit of God, who also knows the will of God, is dwelling within us, and there's a groaning somehow that the Spirit himself is a part of, as he wants to see the will of God come to pass too. And somehow he groans within, and without even needing the usage of my proper words to articulate prayer to God, in inarticulate words, somehow the Spirit, in the welfare of us and those we're praying for, he intercedes for us with the Father with groanings on our behalf, perhaps correcting my wrong prayers, perhaps continuing the communication even when all I can do is sigh or cry or, or, or you know, deeply feel distressed before God. Again, I know all of us in this room have probably been in that place before where you have been so burdened about something that happened or something you're dealing with, whether it's with you personally or someone else, and you can sit before God, and maybe it's in a worship service, and, and, and you want to pray, and you desire to pray, but all you find is just yourself you know, breathing a breath of exasperation and frustration or just feeling so overwhelmed or in the tear running down your cheek, and you can't even find the words to put together. And it's in this glorious moment here that the Spirit of God aids in our weakness and he begins to help us carry the load even when our words can't do it for us. And in some amazing way, this ministry begins to take place. John Bunyan said regarding prayer, better to have a heart with no words than words with no heart. Man, that's a great, great description. Look what Paul goes on to say, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints, Paul says again, notice, according to the will of God. So this reveals to us really why and what is actually happening as the Spirit makes intercession for us with these groanings which are too deep for our own human words. He tells us this beautiful ministry happens that is in our weakness as we don't know how to pray for something as we ought to, but the Spirit of God knows the will of God, so he begins to make intercession according to the will of God. And Paul says, verse 27 here, look at it, he who searches the hearts. Now, when you look in the Bible, you find many places that indicates that's a reference to God the Father. It tells us in 1 Chronicles 28, for the Lord searches all the hearts and understands all the intent of of the thought. So as the Father is searching through human hearts, he's aware of the mind or the intention of the Spirit of God who is presently inside the child of God trying to fulfill the will of God. So here's this incredible thing where the Father looks and he sees what's happening inside of your burdened heart or your overwhelmed heart or your confused heart and, and, and weary heart. And as he looks within your heart, as the presence of his spirit is there, he sees what the spirit has in mind. And lo and behold, guess what? The spirit has in mind exactly what the will of God is. Now, isn't that helpful? Isn't that convenient? Because he understands then what the spirit is interceding. And at the same time, the spirit of God because of this glorious unity among the Trinity, he already knows what the will of God is in every situation. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 about the Spirit. Verse 10 and 11, he says, The Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. 
So the Spirit of God already knows what the will of God is, so he's then able to perfectly assist in this intercession and bring things before the throne of God, interceding on our behalf in this interesting way described here as we're overwhelmed, and he asks exactly what he should on our behalf in the situation we're trying to pray about. One commentator said this, I quote, he said, the Father understands the Spirit's intercession for the saints, even though we do not hear it. We, cannot, we can know that his intercession is effective in securing God's help for us because the Spirit prays in perfect harmony with God's will. So how glorious is that? The Spirit makes intercession, Paul says, verse 27, it happens according to the will of God. Simply put, he makes intercession so that things are asked for in line with, according to, the very will of God. Simply put, the Spirit within helps us to pray by bringing our prayers into alignment with the very will of God on our behalf. So that our prayers might be more effective because 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this, This is the confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that if He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of Him. So the Spirit helps in this process. You're burdened. You're frustrated over something this morning that's going on in your life or that you've heard about. You're overwhelmed. You have some struggle you're working through. Maybe it's concern for another person, a, you know, a loved one or a situation or you're dealing with something and trying to process it and you're sort of just groaning your way through it and you're, you're sighing over the situation and, and the tears running down your cheek. And see, in that moment when I'm in that place... Here's what I perceive. I perceive that in that moment, the Spirit of God says, Father, Father, what Tony's really trying to say, what he's really trying to say right now, or, or Father, what he really needs in this situation, we know, because we understand what's happening and what's going to unfold, or, or, or Father, what he really means. I know that was pretty raw, what he just said, and what he groaned under his breath. <laughs> Father, what do you really mean? And the Spirit of God just begins to aid and assist in this way. Or even if we maybe are stumbling through the words of a prayer and our words are way off target, the Spirit of God kind of brings that prayer into alignment and, and, and helps that prayer. Even as I'm stumbling through words, I'm, I'm trying to pray for somebody in the midst of a tragedy and I'm having trouble even framing words because it's so overwhelming, the situation. And the Spirit takes your, your stutterings and your stumblings because you're brave enough to say, hey, can I pray for you? I don't know what else to do, but can I just pray for you right now? And the Spirit of God just takes a few stumbling words and he uses that as intercession to perfectly accomplish what the will of God is in that situation. Hey, this morning, if you find that you struggle in relation to prayer, good news. The Spirit of God is with you to help you to assist you in your prayer life. In some senses, it might be said, I know we don't understand such things like this, maybe in fullness, we have to by faith take the encouragement and appreciate it, but maybe sometimes a groan is the most spiritual prayer of all. Maybe it's the most effective prayer of all. And I look at a passage of scripture like this this morning, and it's a reminder to me that life, the Christian life, is not intended to be lived independent of the Spirit of God's help and assistance in our life any area of your spiritual life, not just prayer. 
Certainly prayer, but perhaps this morning you're struggling to overcome sin in some way. Listen, independent of the Spirit of God's help, self-resolve, attempts, change, listen, apart from the Spirit of God's help, you will never overcome sin. Maybe it's struggling in some way this morning. I just I try to read the Bible, but I just can't find the motivation. Or then when I read it, I don't understand it. Listen, apart from the Spirit of God's help, you're not going to want to read your Bible. And you're not going to probably understand when you read your Bible because guess what? The Spirit of God wrote the Bible. But the author lives within you. You have to learn to look to and depend upon the Spirit of God's help in your weakness to study the Bible. Maybe you're here this morning and you're in a workplace or a young person in your school and you say, look, I just, you don't understand. It's too hard to live for Jesus in my school. I just, I, I can't be a bull. It's just too hard. I just, I'm just too weak. I don't have the strength to be that forthright with my faith. Right on. Apart from the Spirit of God's help, you're too weak to be a solid, faithful Christian. Maybe you can't find motivation to faithfully walk with the Lord or, or maybe it's dealing with some struggle and you're processing suffering in your life and you're saying, I'm just too weak, I just can't handle this. You're not supposed to handle it. The Spirit of God wants to come alongside and help pick up the load, the much heavier part of the load. God's trying to teach you to depend upon His Spirit, to let His Spirit aid and assist you. Maybe it's forgiving someone. I can't forgive. You're right. You'll never forgive. You'll never let it go. Because that's supernatural. You need the Spirit of God's assistance to do that. Maybe you're here this morning, truth be told. I just, I can't believe. I want to believe, but I can't believe. Right. Maybe you need to depend upon the Spirit of God to help you believe. There may be one or some of you here this morning that you're saying, look, I, mean, I yeah, I kind of, I'm fine. I want to follow Jesus. I want to get saved. I want to become a Christian. But I'm, I just don't know if I could live the way Christians live. I just, I just think I'm too weak. I just think I'm genuinely too weak to live the way supposedly Christian people live. Well, guess what? You're right. You can't be a Christian on your own. But the Spirit of God will help you to do what you can't do, which is to live for Christ and to follow Christ. I love what Jesus said. It says, Jesus called them to become fishers of men. And when Jesus called them and, and he said, follow me, listen to what he said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. You choose to follow me, Jesus said, and then I'll make you become what it means to be my follower. Again, supernaturally aiding and assisting to what we can't do. Amen.